eerste ervaring. En nu, ladies en gentlemen, uw attention, please. Big decisions have even bigger consequences in the world of marketing leadership, where data informs everything, second chances are rare, and ROI is no longer the only metric that matters. Please join us as we go inside the funnel. Tell me, Jenna, where was the first place you worked in media and how long did you work there for? <laughs> My first job in media, and this is now every listener is going to know how exactly old I am. I was actually a tear sheet coordinator, which is the most literal name ever. I literally tore advertising sheets out of print publications. Um, and that first job I worked at for approximately two years. Two years yes. tearing sheets. Tearing sheets. <laughs> full of, full of newsprint. Yep. Uh-huh. How are your forearms? Mighty. Swole. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Two years doing that first job. That seems incredibly far removed and alien from the environment that we find ourselves in today. Sure does. Um, Have you ever seen anything like what we are experiencing today in the workplace in your career, Jenna? Never. Never. And I have been in agencies my entire career. I have never seen this much volatility and movement ever no it is a remarkable time and for that um, and to hopefully give us a bit of guidance as to how best to navigate this time i'm delighted to introduce our guest for today camille fetter she is the founder and ceo of talentfoot executive search As an executive recruiter for nearly 20 years, Camille has a track record of helping build difference-making leadership teams for high-growth organizations, from Series B-funded startups to private equity and venture capital, Fortune 50 brands, advertising and marketing agencies, and SaaS providers. Camille started her career in advertising when she realized that she was not fulfilled, even though she loved the industry. She was introduced to executive search, which came with the opportunity to make a real difference in people's lives and soon recognized that digital business executive search had been her calling all along. She's a member of the Forbes HR Council, Chief, a network connecting women executive leaders, as well as YPO, a global leadership community for CEOs. Her expertise and insights on the future of work are featured in top business and digital business media outlets, such as Digiday, Reagan's Workplace Wellness Insider, and Authority Magazine, to name a few. Welcome to the show, Camille Fetter. Well, thank you for that grand introduction. I really appreciate the invitation, being with all of you today, uh, and having uh, what I know is going to be a very robust conversation around what's going on in the marketplace right now. Absolutely. So, Camille, everything that we read about these days, it's termed the great resignation. Is this a fair way of articulating it? What what is it and how impactful is it in particular in the marketing world? Sure. Um, Well, it's extremely relevant uh, to our industry uh, of digital marketing. Um, The great resignation is essentially the era that we are living in right now where employees are quitting their jobs in record numbers. Uh, and you know the digital marketing and digital business industry in particular 
is uh, being negatively impacted by the Great Resignation due to uh, many, many reasons. Uh, but for one, uh, the world has gone digital uh, and the demand for digital talent has never been more fierce than it is today. Uh, employees know it, employers know it, uh, and you know, individuals, uh, the biggest trend I'm seeing is professionals are looking for more fulfillment in their lives. Uh, and they know they're in the driver's seat. So, yes, and <laughs> yes, and Camille, what more fulfillment? What does that mean, though? What are candidates looking for in a company or in a role? They want to bring their whole selves to work. They want to work for humans. They want to be treated like a human and not just an employee. Uh, they, we've all have experienced extremely trying times over the last two years, almost two years now, hard to believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, the eight hours of zoom, <laughs> um, people are burned out. Uh, we are, uh, have certainly at an, are at an inflection point in life where we're all asking ourselves, what is this game really all about? Uh, and do I want to work my life away? Right. Um, we people aren't, uh, you know, really they want to be working for a mission driven organization, an organization that has a great culture, a great mission that puts their employees first uh, and truly takes into consideration their whole self. Um, we've all been talking about work life integration is this uh, trend that we all want to work towards. Right. And. Now we finally have been able to exercise that, mm -hmm. right? We've all been finally uh, in a position where we can run to the grocery store over the, the noon hour. We mm -hmm. can take our kids to school. We can have breakfast with our kids before they go to school. We can be home for dinner. Uh, people have truly changed the way they live and what that means for their professional lives. And they're just looking at the world very differently now. Camille, do you think if not for the pandemic, it, this would be happening still or in a different version? I mean, the whole your point about the world has gone digital, that's true. But that was also true before the pandemic to a lesser extent. Do you think that that's been like what type of accelerator do you think that has been? I think it's been a tremendous accelerator. I think now you've got you know, a host of also other reasons, but besides the fact that people like working from home, they like the a tremendous amount of flexibility, right? So mm -hmm. we have employers who are demanding now hybrid schedules and we're mm -hmm. getting inundated with phone calls the, the within minutes of these messages being rolled out to organizations. We had one agency, very predominant agency in our industry that rolled out hybrid expectations and my, our phones were ringing off the hook within 15 minutes of this email going out. Or I think, I believe it was a town hall meeting. Wow. And yep. So, you know, em, employees, they, they have felt so empowered that they finally have control over how their personal life and professional life is intertwined. Right. And now they're being told, forget that you need to, you know, now be on site. Uh, and it's just not going over very well. Yeah, um, I, I find that incredibly interesting because it depends what camp you're from. 
I even even before COVID, I was a huge believer of work from home as needed sort of balance, right? Because you hire grownups that you trust to do their jobs. So if you need to do that from home, you go right ahead. Um, I think it's very interesting though. There are two distinct camps, I feel. It is the, I really, really, really miss the office and the people. And so therefore I must be right. And that should be the policy <laughs> versus the, I've really enjoyed being the master of my schedule and working from home. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I must be right. Like, are you seeing, obviously the way you're speaking about this agency, that seems as though you would consider that kind of a mistake uh, to kind of mandate that. Any other sort of errors you're seeing as people are trying to adjust to what is hopefully probably the end of COVID now? Like anything else you're seeing? Let's hope so. Yeah. So we are, we are seeing a, and hearing from a lot of employees that, yeah, I went to the office last week to sit on Zoom calls. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. What was the point? I, it's, it's, so I think, you know, organizations that are not being really intentional around how we collaborate, when we collaborate, who's there, right? What, how do we work when we're in the office versus how do we work when we're working from home, mm. it's, it's, it needs to be different, right? We need to show employees the value of being there in person. And if it's going to feel the same, the value feels exactly the same from when we work from home as, to, as opposed to when we're collaborating in the office, then you're going to have a really tough argument to get people in. So, so do you think, do you, sorry, do you think that organizations have thought that through? in terms of what an in-office experience should be and what a day should look like in the office as opposed to from home. Um, because I'm very struck by, for example, especially in digital media, how our productivity, productivity has mm -hmm. skyrocketed during the pandemic as everybody's been working from home. And one of the things that we complain about as human beings is I'm on these calls all day long, back to back to back to back. And I rarely take the breaks that I do when I'm in the office mm -hmm. around other people. I'm spending no time just sitting talking to people as people. And, and do you think that companies have the expectation that when people are in the office, they're going to maintain that level of productivity? Because if, they, if that expectation is still there, then the office is just about geography and control. It's not actually about, you know, collaboration and culture. I think you're spot on with all of it. I think when, when people are in the office today, they don't even feel like they can check their LinkedIn feed, right? Because they need to be so present with everyone at all times, which is frankly exhausting, right? Yeah. Uh, they have no time to themselves. Uh, I, you know, there's a, there's a rise of uh, the, the new role of chief collaboration officer. Yep. Oh. Have, have you all heard I've this? Heard of yep. it. I've heard I've seen that on uh, on, not, the, on my fun. feed. I've seen that come up. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So so it just goes to show like there are C-level executives being hired to help organizations navigate how intentional they are about when what work gets done where. Right? So uh, I I do think leaders need to be really aware and conscientious around how they structure what types of meetings, what does the agenda look like, how do they bring everyone to the table, right? There's There are certain types of collaboration that are way more effective in person than mm 
when we're all dispersed throughout the country or the world, right? So I think really being thoughtful around what are those agenda items, right, that are going to be more productive when you're all physically present in the room? How do you get people in a conference room, uh, you know, getting to the whiteboard <laughs> and, and using post-it notes to have exercises around certain brainstormings and Right. Um, there's also a lot of chatter that takes place between meetings. And sometimes you're, you're debriefing with fellow colleagues after a conference meeting that you don't get in Zoom life. Yeah, that's true. You and just say goodbye ideas, and then you hang up right? and it's gone. You hang right. Up. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. And that's where sometimes the best ideas happen. Mm -hmm. I totally agree that if it involves a whiteboard, that's a great like benchmark for whether or not you should be in person, because <laughs> I being on the technical side of our business, whiteboards are critical to when we're trying to design a new thing or solve a problem. And there's no, I found it very difficult to replicate that environment through the digital mechanisms that we have. Uh, and, you know, there is no substitute for that, for sure. Um, you gave a great example earlier about, you know, that business that made the announcement and 15 minutes later, your phone started ringing because they had alienated a bunch of people with the suggestion that hybrid was a thing. On the flip side of that, what are do you have any anecdotes of organizations who are just like really crushing it, who have like worked out what the reality is now and how to really leverage that and make the most of the moment we're having here? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I don't think anyone's mastered it yet because we're still navigating this evolving workforce, right? And and this is such a personal uh, matter, right? It's not full teams are not completely aligned on whether they want to be hybrid, fully remote or in person, right? A team of five people. It's, I mean, the, the likelihood of even just five, a, a team of five people agreeing on that is pretty slim, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, I think I, a, a few organizations, the few things that organizations are doing right is they are developing leaders who are very human and encouraging their leaders to be as human as possible. And if, you know, our leaders are vulnerable, empathetic, um, focused on providing fulfilling work to their people, right? That bleeds throughout the entire organization, right? So sharing with your leaders and, and, and ensuring your leaders are communicating to their people that you can't have two versions of you. We know that as your employer, we get that, and we're going to support you in that. I'm terrified at the idea of two versions of Dan, um, especially <laughs> when you talk about empathetic and uh, vulnerable. That would be awesome. It's not exactly you to a T, is it? Terrific. Are you listening? I would not enjoy an argument with that other Dan, though. <laughs> uh, is that, is know, that because of your empathy? Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> uh, or, you know, other uh, approaches that I think are working really well is the organizations that are putting a, a significant emphasis on education and training. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, people are craving growth, right? And, and when, especially this next generation, where they're not rubbing elbows in the office with their leaders and building those soft skills that we all know is paramount to anyone's success, uh, you know, they want to know that they are being invested in uh, from in terms of their personal and professional growth. So 
uh, putting that at the forefront of 2022 planning, uh, really weaving in more time for training and development, bringing in outside speakers uh, and providing executive coaching. Uh, we're seeing those numbers go up where there's a real vested interest in getting their talent, the access to the experts who are going to elevate their game, both that are currently in and outside the organization. Um, and then, of course, you know, the organizations that truly do believe you can work from anywhere and be successful. Uh, so, you know, of course, you know, many of the organizations that are are succeeding in this uh, trying time for talent are looking at the market and saying, look, you know, we know when it's appropriate to get together uh, and when it's not necessary. We're not going to have meetings for the sake of having meetings. Um, and they're, they're providing every single person in their organization with a mission towards the greater mission. Mm -hmm. This is how your role impacts the greater mission, right? Mm -hmm. can, we, can we talk about that for a moment? Um, because I'm really struck by how all of the examples that you provided up to that point are about what the organization can do for the individual. But that point about the alignment of the person's mission with the greater mission is more about what that giving the per, the individual giving giving the employee or team member um, a function and an understanding of how they can contribute. So, I I mean I can remember when I think about earlier on in my career, one of the big driving factors for me was how can I is it an environment where I can not necessarily grow but I can contribute and I can see that contribution in a significant way. Um, do you think that's that's still important? It's interesting. You know, we always say one of the easiest ways to separate the A players from the B players are the A players are always looking for an opportunity where they can make the biggest impact mm -hmm. on the organization, right? And if that's not there, they know that that's not the right gig for them. So historically, yes, that's always been the the you know most consistent feedback that we've heard in the market and inquiry among the best talent uh, these days, still important, but it's part of the conversation. It's not leading the conversation. You talk about um, the, the things that power the current moment, the digitization and so on. And, and as we sit in the agency space, um, another big driver that we have our eye on is the push and pull between in-housing and, um, and, and people wanting careers in agencies. Do you think that any of the dynamics that you've described change depending on whether it is an in-house organization or an agency uh, landscape that, that people are applying into in terms of their aspirations and their desires and what the organization should do? Historically, we have always heard from agency talent that they want to eventually go client side, mm -hmm. right? And the client side now brands, they are being more demanding of on-site office right. time. Right. <laughs> and so the agencies are winning on that front, right? Mm -hmm. So we are seeing talent that historically could have gone brand side that are now going to another agency during the great resignation. Mm -hmm. um, we are also uh, seeing you know, 
uh, we're, we're hearing from a lot of corporate marketers that they are not thrilled with their agency partners. This has been a recent trend I've been I've been hearing in the market for the last few months. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and I'm curious about your opinions here, uh, I believe since there has been such a challenge to attract talent and staff the amount of business that's been coming to agencies, because agencies have done extremely well over the last two years, right, that they are putting fairly junior talent on a lot of accounts. And they it's been difficult for agencies to train that talent not being on site, right, and not having the traditional onboarding. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of a lot of corporations are saying, you know, I think it's time to bring it in house uh, because they've been partnering with agencies that have taken on too much work and haven't had the caliber of talent mm -hmm. right at the more junior level to service their their, their business. Yeah, I think that's interesting because yes, I absolutely am. I would bet on it for sure that that's happening, but it's also always been happening. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. right. Uh, you know, we right. we know how other agencies work. The DAC does not. There's our little <laughs> our little commercial for ourselves, but yeah, I think it's it's very interesting, and I think the interesting thing here about taking it in house versus going to an agency, you're talking about on site being one of those things, but I've always you said, interestingly, you find that agency people eventually always want to go client side. And I, I laugh at that because I say, oh, are you retiring? Right. When somebody says that they're going to go client side, I'm like, OK, you're going to go retire because it has this notion behind it that it it does allow for more work life balance or it is air quotes easier or, you know, the demands will be lower if you're on site at a client. And that's always kind of been the perception, I think what it sounds like you're saying is that maybe you're seeing that kind of change and, and the culture thing is kind of backwards now, almost between agency or in-house. It is. It is. And uh, I think that's a great win for the agencies, right? And agencies are known for great culture and uh, giving their employees, uh, you know, time off and, you know, generous vacation schedules and mm -hmm. uh, the ability uh, to, uh, get involved in uh, initiatives outside the office with their colleagues, right? That's not something corporations have always done as well as agencies, sure. right? So, um, yeah. One, one. Let me build on that for a moment. We're talking about this push and pull between agencies and in-house and the complaint that comes back from a lot of people at the brand side who say, but the agencies staff up junior people. I've seen on numerous occasions um, examples where there are junior people who or people early in their careers who are having difficulty perhaps um, advancing in their careers as quickly as they would hope and expect to. And it may be because they're lacking certain um, areas or, or they just need time to develop certain types of soft skills, for example, which, by the way, I always think is such a huge misnomer. Mm. Um, and then they get titles and money thrown at them, typically from in-house organizations, whether financial institutions or, or what have you. And and those people end up in in roles that you just know they are they're not ready for. So have you seen that? And what do you think that does to people's mid to long term job prospects? Because 
is it is it a sugar rush um, that happens mm-hmm. where it's like you suddenly get that the title and you know a thirty percent increase, forty percent increase in in your compensation, and then you know d- does it does it pan out in the main from your experience? I think there's a lot of corporations that don't quite know how to evaluate agency talent for corp- brand side opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do see them hiring specialists into generalist positions, mm. and that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I think you know we we have uh, you know agencies agency talent at the more senior level too. Oftentimes their work they're focused on strategy, uh, and they've they've never worked closely to the sales numbers. Right where uh, I know you all, you know, work very closely um, with your clients on actually following uh, sales metrics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know when products being moved. Not a lot of agency talent is privy to that information, mm-hmm. right? And all of a sudden they go client side, they don't know how to, they don't know how to bridge that gap between their marketing efforts and tracking sales and that you know, real first party data that they're getting mm. on the client side um, that not all agency talent has experience with. Um, so I think the business acumen and expectations, depending on the size of the organization and the role, uh, tends tends to be generally higher and that does surprise agency talent. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of things I look for in transitioning an agency executive to the client side. Uh, and I will say uh, the the it's a smaller pool in general at the director level and above. Sure. So kind of along those lines, disregarding in-house versus agency, what, if you had your magic eight ball, what happens now that everybody's titled up and moneyed up, what happens? We'd really like next? to know. And how long, how long does this exactly. housing bubble, right? <laughs> this, this is like the housing bubble of, of hiring. What happens? Right. Well, I think we, we are already starting to see the negative impact of the hiring frenzy that took place last year. Mm-hmm. Now that talent is not sh- not showing the, the return on the investment that the organizations once had anticipated. Mm-hmm. So these individuals, we are getting a lot of calls for confidential searches. Ah. Um, yep. Um, folks that are just not performing mm-hmm. uh, and they thought, you know what, this is a talent grab opportunity. We'll throw a bunch of money at this talent. And now, you know, they're overpaid. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, so we're Camille, seeing that. I, I told you not to bring up Dan's conversation. <laughs> that's the, that's confidential. Good thing. That's, that's the, uh, living in a state of perpetual imposter syndrome will really help you stay sharp. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was my theory all along, and thank you for confirming yeah. it, right? Like, at some point, something's got to give. Something you can't give. just over-title and overpay people right. and then not have them be able to do the job. And it's, right. I always feel so ancient when I talk to younger kids. I offer anyone on my team that's considering leaving, I offer them a conversation with me to give my completely unbiased opinion on the opportunity mm-hmm. that they have to leave. And most of the time, I will tell them if they think actually sure, you know, Terrible for us to lose you, but if you're interested, that sounds good. But every once in a while, I tell them, I say, I don't think you know what you're getting into, mm-hmm. right? Or 
I actually don't think they've described the job the way it's actually going to be. So you might want to ask a few more questions because I think right. all, all they're seeing is the money in the title and not understanding what that means. So there will, there will have to be a correction there at some point. Right. If they, if an employer is willing to double your compensation, right. You should probably think twice about that. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh -huh. we, we have had some organizations throughout uh, the last few years, knowing how, how much more competitive online business has become, right? Uh, try to capture talent from their competitive set. And, you know, by saying we're, we'll double the compensation because they want that competitive intelligence. Oh, wow. Only, only in my fear is only for potentially them to be discarded six months yeah. later. Right. Sure. Uh, because sure. they recognize they're overpaid. So, yeah, I, I, you know, we've had a lot of talent ask, well, with the infl with inflation, should I be asking for an increase in compensation? Yeah. Right. And, you know, our response is you, 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 you just want to make sure you're not out of line for the market. Right. Um, and that you aren't the highest paid for your skill set, because when the market turns and if you're not truly providing that return on that investment, then you're going to be top on that list right. when cuts need to, to happen. Right. Or you can easily be replaced by someone who's equally as qualified for a lot less. Camille, I have another hypothesis about the that the sharp increases in compensation and a contributing factor is, and I'd be interested in your opinion. I I've heard stories of, um, you know, the the the, the younger uh, generation, people earlier in their career, from their graduating cohort. You know, this this generation of sharing. Uh, you know, and we're a little older. We kind of keep it private. What we do and what we earn and what all, it's kind of personal. But in the younger generation, it doesn't seem to be as personal. And I'm wondering if you think there's this sort of drag along mentality within a graduating cohort where they all stay in touch with each other. They speak very openly about what they're making. And the person at the top of that food chain kind of inspires the others to say, well, I should be getting more. And then they're on the hunt for something bigger and better. And do you think that that's kind of giving buoyancy to what's going on here also? It's absolutely a factor, Dan, without a, without a doubt. Uh, pay transparency is reaching... Uh, uh, new trends, right? I mean, New York City, state of Colorado, right? And now you're on TikTok and you have a Google employee sharing everything about their compensation package mm -hmm. with the world, right? And then you've got a teacher watching that TikTok video saying, what the heck am I doing? Right. Yeah. right? I'm <laughs> right. in the wrong profession, <laughs> right? So, you know, we've got, you know, talent changing industries, um, because of you know pay transparency taking place, uh, and so yes, I think this this next generation they are going they see confidentiality as it relates to compensation quite differently. Differently, than, than yeah. Us. Not to mention that person who published that TikTok video is probably generating revenue and income from that, where they would otherwise be working in a technical role. <laughs> so that's depleting Bingo. the workforce, also. Yeah. So Camille, um, let's round this out. What what are the three things that you would recommend companies do right now in order to attract and retain talent in this environment? You know, I think communicating 
communicating, communicating, right? You can't communicate enough. Uh, I think get to know your people, groom great leaders who are engaging uh, and really get to know and care about their, their team members, right? And can provide fulfilling work and assignments. Uh, you know, otherwise you're, you're, you're just going to keep losing people and you're not going to be able to attract the players that the organization needs moving forward. Uh, so, you know, I think keeping in mind people leave, people don't leave companies, they leave leaders, they leave mm -hmm. people, right? So, uh, ensuring that you're fostering collaboration and engagement and, and team building, right? And, uh, you know, the, the emphasis on people, um, cannot be enough right now, right? Uh, I think, again, also being, an empowering employer that allows people to bring their whole selves to work um, and is is an employer that truly doesn't just say they're employee first, but acts on it and acts that way, right? Uh, and ensures it's a two-way conversation uh, and you're not just uh, implementing mandates without listening to your people. Um, I think, uh, you know, really focusing on your 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 mission as an organization and communicating that very clearly across all aspects uh, of of who you are in the market not only to your employees but to your customers uh, uh, and being really consistent with that um, and you know I think you know leaders you know in organizations that are truly, acting on, yes, we know that you can't have two versions of yourself. That starts at the interview process, the first interview, not just getting to know the, the individual as a professional, but getting to know them as a human, right? And that is going to separate the companies that continue to, to win talent versus those that are just trying to fill a requisition. So, so let me just ask you one final follow-up question on that because when you talk about that first interview getting to know them as a human what happens when is is your advice then that it should be the hiring manager should be conducting that first interview or would it be for example a, a recruitment group or how does this work in your mind so it could it could be the hiring manager it could be someone in hr but it needs to be really well thought through. So what balance of the conversation is focused on them as professional versus them as a human being? What questions do we ask? Right. Uh, and of course, making sure that your questions certainly are, are, are legal, right? There's certain questions <laughs> sure. we can't ask. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, uh, I think, you know, just really, there's a lot of, uh, unfortunately, corporate recruiters that haven't been trained in having a two-way dialogue and conversation and getting to know the other, the individual, right, who's looking at your organization as a potential employer, right, and they're just looking to check boxes. That's There's nothing that is, you know, less appetizing mm -hmm. than a conversation along those lines when you're potentially looking to go, you know, walk down the aisle with a future employer. So um, I think, you know, have it, but that first touch point needs to be really engaging uh, and needs to be someone who truly understands the organization's culture uh, and can articulate why their culture is a fit for that individual looking to potentially join the organization. 
And on that note of engaging, thank you for an engaging and insightful conversation, Camille. Thank you from Dan, Jenna, and myself. Thank you for joining us on Inside the Funnel today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure getting to know the three of you and having a, a great conversation around what's going on in, in the workforce today. Uh, really appreciate you uh, inviting me on to have this um, meaningful conversation. And thank you, listener, for listening in. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Inside the Funnel with Jenna Watson, Dan Tembe, and Nasser Salul. Until next time, don't forget to like, subscribe, and connect with the AC wherever you see us online.